0: Welcome in to Show Me Today, the Voice of Missouri. Happy Hump Day. The 2023-24 school year is almost here, and districts around the state are getting their ducks in order for when the first day comes around. We'll have returning guests from MU Extension coming back around to talk about how trees can really affect things with storm damage. And one of Missouri's top budget leaders wants to take over state treasurer. But first, the Dickerson Park Zoo in the Springfield area is celebrating its 100th anniversary. We're joined now by the PR and Marketing Director of the Zoo, Joey Powell. To highlight the history of the zoo, recap a celebration they just had. And she's telling me about a story of a man who attended to the celebration that is older than the zoo itself. Joey, thank you so much for joining here today. 100 years, that's pretty impressive. How did it all get started? In 1922,
1: it was called the City Zoo, and it was actually in Phelps Grove Park. So 100 years ago, the city acquired 100 acres from the estate of Jerome Dickerson. And so we have those 100 acres here on what is now the corner of I-44 and Highway 13. So that's some prime real estate. And uh, we are now 100 years ahead and celebrating that milestone. So we have 100 acres, 50 of which are developed. Uh, But the really interesting thing that I found in the history is the actual, this location of the zoo in the 1800s, Joseph Heffernan had actually started a zoo here, his dream was to have kind of a resort had uh, Sweeney Hall, and his dream was to have a resort kind of area, you know, things that we think of now, like, a, you know, resorts along Table Rock Lake or Lake of the Ozarks, As, you know, now going to a resort isn't really that big of a deal, but if you think about that in the 1800s, this was his dream, so he's a real forward thinker, and he had a quote because he had a small zoo on these grounds of which, uh, the oldest exhibit that we still use part of, he called the Bear Pit. And we still have that in use today. Now, it's been remodeled, and it's just kind of the back uh, stone cave part of it. That the, uh, the back, the guests don't really see that, but it's still very much in use. And he said that his dream was to have a zoo of something of beauty. And so I think about that a lot as I've been planning this the, the celebration. Of, I wonder what he would
0: think if he could see it now. You've tuned in to Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri. I'm Cameron Connor. We're here with Joey Powell, the PR and Marketing Director for the Dickerson Park Zoo. The zoo has celebrated its 100th year of operation.
1: So, you know, the big cats are always a favorite. People just love love big cats. And it's funny because, you know, I said earlier, animals are for everyone. And I really mean that because there's no right or wrong answer to what's your favorite animal. Uh, the giraffe feeding deck is a really big thing. People love that because they can get up close and personal with the giraffes. They can hold a giraffe cracker or a piece of lettuce and really get an idea of how long a giraffe's tongue is and how tall they are. We have people that won't go near the diversity of life building, which is where the snakes are kept. And then we have people that can't wait to get to the diversity of life. So, you know, it's just such a, a It's really fun working here and talking to people because they all have their favorites. But as far as popularity, people seem to really love the tigers. Um, My personal favorite are down to two. I love the kangaroos because they have the funniest expression on their faces to me at all times. They just, they look at you like they're judging you. And like they just, it's just this very funny, um, almost kind of pretentious expression on their face. But I also have to go into the big cat category. To me, tigers are the most perfect combination of beauty, power, and grace. And we have two of the most exquisite tigers. We actually have the number one uh, genetically diverse male within the Association of Zoos and Aquariums Network. And we have the fourth uh, genetically diverse female. So in other words, we have like the homecoming king and the fourth runner-up. And they are part of the species survival plan, and they're a breeding pair. And my hope is sometime during our 100th year, we get to announce that we have tiger cubs.
0: Wouldn't that be something? That would be such a, yeah, that'd be a magical
2: thing to have (laughs) happen there.
1: It really would. So we're really hopeful uh, that tigers are typically solitary animals, and they only come together with breeding. But we're seeing some really promising signs, so we're excited about that.
0: Joey Powell, PR and marketing director of the Dickerson Park Zoo in the Springfield area. Joey, one of the questions that I'd love to wrap this up is, especially for the people in mid-Missouri, where they have to travel regardless if they want to go to a zoo. And let's say because they're on that I-70 line, they've been to the Kansas City Zoo or the St. Louis Zoo before, or maybe they haven't been to any zoo in, in Missouri yet. What does the Dickerson Park Zoo bring to the table that's very different from the other two?
3: Well,
1: number one, the thing that we hear over and over is we're small. Kansas City, phenomenal zoo. St. Louis, world class. I mean, and they're bigger. They're much bigger cities than we are. Uh, They have a a bigger uh, revenue source. They're just much bigger zoos. What you get at Dickerson Park Zoo is you get a little bit closer uh, personal contact. And it's also what we hear is that you can easily get through – Dickerson Park Zoo in an hour and a half to two hours. Now you can spend all day if you really want to take your time and you know read all the signs and really learn about the animals. But especially for families, families on vacation where they're trying to pack a lot in, it's a really manageable zoo. You can easily do it in a morning or an afternoon, and then have some time to go explore some of the other great things about Springfield and the Ozarks. Uh, we hear that a lot; people love that. Also, and I, as I pointed out, we're at on 100 acres at the corner of I-44 and Highway 13, we're kind of still in the woods. So you're surrounded by the beauty of the Ozarks. It's not a flat walk. I like to tell people it's the most exotic 1.2 mile walk in all of Greene County. So it's just a really, uh, it's a really special place, just because you are surrounded by the beauty of the Ozarks. You're surrounded by peacocks. Um, the peacocks kind of own the place. They're as much as our history as anything, anything else. That- Celebrating this year. The peacocks have been around since the 50s. And we have people that just come, they want to see the peacocks. And when people talk about a lot of things about what they remember about the zoo, they remember the free roaming peacocks.
0: One of the other things that I see on your website that I think is very, very unique, and maybe other zoos offer it, but I don't know if I haven't seen it on their website or whatever. You guys have these close encounter things that you offer called animal. Ronde zoos <laughs> where you can basically pick an animal of your choice and basically interact with them. what What about that process? Can you tell me a little bit about that?
1: Yes, now that is something that is limited to our friends of the zoo members. It's a benefit of becoming a friend of the zoo member and it's just, just an additional uh, that's where we, our support comes. You know, anybody that comes to visit the zoo, they help, they're helping with our conservation efforts and just obviously helping feed keep you know four hundred mouths fed. Uh, but our friends of the zoo membership, that's a really incredible program where you have free visits for a year, and then there's a certain level of those memberships where you can have a behind-the-scenes encounter. And you can find out about that and about becoming a member at DickersonParkZoo.org. But it is pretty cool because you get to go, get like I said, behind the scenes. Uh, you might get to have uh, – it could be with a tiger or an elephant. We've got different encounters depending on the membership level. And you get to meet a zookeeper. You get to have some really great photo. Uh, opportunities and just really see something that the public does not get the chance to see and get an experience of really meeting the zookeeper and finding out how knowledgeable they are and how dedicated they are to the work that they do. So those are really special. They're great gifts too.
0: PR and marketing director Joey Powell, we've been talking about the 100th anniversary Of the Dickerson Park Zoo that just happened to be celebrated this year. Once again, congratulations on the 100th anniversary, Joey, and thank you very much for joining us on Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri.
1: Thank you. Great to talk to you.
0: And for anyone who tuned in late or they want to share this interview, make sure to search Show Me Today wherever you get your podcast.
4: Discover the fascinating world of nature right here in Missouri with Discover Nature Notes. Today, Let's jump into the weird world of Spittlebugs. You'll never look at bugs the same way again. Spittlebugs literally grow in a protective bubble. You may see these bubbles that look like spit on plants this time of year. The Spittlebug nymph finds protection from the weather and predators while feeding and growing inside the bubbles. Adult Spittlebugs are high jump champions in nature, leaping more than 100 times their length and height. By comparison, that would be like you or me jumping over the Gateway Arch in St. Louis. The acceleration used for jumping is a force more than 400 times the force of gravity. So when you see the bubbles, just rest assured you're witnessing the growth of nature's high jumper, the spittlebug. Discover more with Missouri Department of Conservation at discovernaturenotes.com. My therapist had told me that I needed to go to AA meetings, but I wasn't sure whether I wanted to go because I didn't want to be an alcoholic. That was not what I wanted to grow up and be. I didn't want to go to AA, but I did, and it wasn't what I expected by any means. It was friendly. I could feel it. I mean, I could feel the happiness. It's really great. Visit AA.org for more information and download the Meeting Guide app to find a meeting near you. If a baby is giggling in the back seat, they're probably happy.
5: If a baby is crying in the back seat, they're probably hungry. But if a baby is sleeping
6: in the back seat, will you remember they're even there? When you're distracted, stressed, or not usually the one who drives them, the chances of forgetting them in the back seat are much higher. It can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get in the habit of checking the back seat when you leave. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council.
0: Welcome back to Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri. I'm Cameron Connor. The 2023-24 school year is almost here. Districts are getting their ducks in order for when the first day of school comes around. Paul Katnick with the Office of Educator Quality at the Missouri Department of Elementary and Secondary Education is here with Anthony Morabith to get an overview of the state's teacher workforce numbers and what it looks like compared to previous years.
9: A lot of it looks the same. Uh, I would say that we've been really tracking workforce data for Um, a number of years now. Uh, We typically provide an update to our State Board of Education every year on what that looks like, and so we get a lot of trend data, and that shows us, you know, across time where things have moved. One of the areas that we pay a lot of attention to is enrollment. We have 43 um, universities across the state who offer teacher preparation programs uh, to candidates, and we track those numbers of enrollment folks who are enrolled in those programs, but also people who complete those programs we have a good decade's worth of data that shows um, this uh, decline for a number of years um, kind of bottoming out um, somewhere around 1819 seems to be the low point Um, the last three years we've seen an uptick so there is some sign perhaps that um, our enrollment is building which is great because we've been working really hard on that the last several years Um, and so uh, that part's encouraging the completer uh, data lags behind that a little bit because you have to complete your program before you're an actually a program completer. And so that decline is still what we're seeing right now. Uh, but we're hoping that the increased enrollment is going to produce some increases in completer data. We'll be running again everything this fall, um, and we'll be able to check that. Uh, but it works kind of like dominoes after that. After you get them enrolled in a program and then they complete the program, we then look at certificates issued. And of course, that Um, That's a little bit farther down the chain, and so we still see some declining uh, numbers there yet, but we're hoping that'll turn around uh, once that enrollment makes it through their programs. We also look at hiring rates for our school districts. Um, This uh, past year, uh, we actually jumped 2%. It's the highest we've seen in six years at 11.9%. The comparison I give folks is that the national average among all states is around 8%. Missouri sits at 11.9%. So, um, well over three percentage points higher than the national average, and then there's a lot of um, other school systems around the, you know, the globe that we hear a lot about. Finland and Singapore and uh, Canada, you know, where these are high-performing systems, um, their hiring rate is somewhere around four percent, and we're triple that. And so, the stability of a workforce is really important, and that's what we're hoping to do: is build the enrollment on the front side of it, reduce demand on the back side of it and get some stability and bring those percentages down to align more with the national average and and some of those other countries so there's that's another percentage that we look at there too is retention rates uh, right now we we lose too many of our early career teachers um, you know within one to three years we've lost a good half of the folks who started as a cohort of new teachers and we need to build. Um, you know, build those retention rates up. And That's what I, I mean about in, uh, reducing demand on the demand side. So we've got one area of a little bit of optimism. We think enrollment is on the increase. And, of course, we've been working hard the last year or two investing some of the relief funds that have been available in recruitment or retention grants and grow your own programs. We've we've uh, drastically increased the number of grow your own programs. Those are programs offered by, like, um, school districts who you know, work with high school students, you know, who would be interested in being a teacher and support them all the way through the prep process. And then uh, a large percentage of them end up coming back teaching for that same school district. That's why they call it Grow Your Own. Uh, We've jumped the percentage of uh, districts in our state from somewhere around 20% to up over 80% who have some type of program. We just think all of those efforts are going to contribute to uh, stabilizing Supply and demand a little bit, and getting us back to a point where you know we have plenty of teachers for all our classrooms.
6: So, what possibly could Desi uh, do to sort of, and you kind of previously, mm-hmm. previously sort of alluded to this? What could sort of Desi do, um, like up the pay, increase benefit incentivization, things like that? I assume.
9: Yes, and yes, <laughs> exactly. Those are a couple of areas. We went into the research and and looked and said, well, what kinds of things increase teacher retention, and we came up with a good dozen of them that are options of things that you can do. One obvious one that people would understand, I think, is, you know, your mentor program for brand new teachers. What kind of support do you give brand new teachers new to the profession in years one and two? Um, And the better you make that program, the more you keep your new teachers around. And so we took some of that, um, you know, that relief funds, like I mentioned, and we made retention grants, and we allowed school districts to apply for those. We made them eligible to everybody. If you wanted a retention grant, you could get one. Um, Over 500 school districts took advantage of that. And they put those funds into one of those dozen areas that the research says, this is going to improve teacher retention. And one of the things that we did that I think is going to pay off for us is we included in that a four phase evaluation study of exactly what folks chose to do, how the implementation has gone. And now in phase three, we're studying the effectiveness of those. And what we wanna be able to hold up at some point is what are those strategies that worked the best in terms of recruitment and retention that our school districts did um, so that we've got an area moving forward, a system kind of moving forward for how we keep the workforce you know, at a, at a healthy level uh, by using the strategies that the research that we've done on our own uh, school districts tells us that this is what works. You know, uh, sometimes we get uh, involved in implementing strategies that we think work, and maybe we think that because it would have worked for us when we were ending the profession, but, you know, we're recruiting a much different generation of new teachers now, and we need to know what works for them, and that's what's important about that evaluation part of this and studying that. Um, But like I said, over 500 school districts did take advantage of grant funds and put in some strategies around teacher retention. And so we think that's going to help improve improve the retention rates as those kick in.
6: Paul Katnick joins us on Show Me today, the voice of Missouri. He's with the Office of Educator Quality at the Missouri Department of Elementary and Secondary Education, or DESE for short. I'm curious in regards to what you were mentioning and... uh, teacher pay and increasing the benefit incentivization for, uh, remaining or uh, rather keeping retention rates or improving retention rates, um, with regard to funding from the state legislature, are you hoping that, uh, I know a lot of this was through the pandemic related funding and things like that. What about for the future? Are you hoping that lawmakers could possibly try and up some of uh, the money that they appropriate for education in the future for teachers?
9: Yeah, they actually have. We've, um, We've got two programs that are now in place. They're in their second year. One is our Career Ladder Program. This is additional compensation for teachers for some additional responsibilities or duties that they're going to do. We have uh, going into this school year uh, over 200 school districts that are in uh, uh, involved in that. Over 15,000 teachers will be benefiting from that. That's going to be extra pay in teachers' pockets. And there's also a teacher baseline salary grant program that's now in its second year and this program guarantees that all teachers earn $38,000 or more. Um that's a pretty big jump when when you consider the fact that in statute the minimum requirement is down at 25,000. And so bringing all those teachers who are somewhere between 25 and 38 up to 38,000 does a lot as well. And so with the two programs working together, You're benefiting new teachers to the profession with the one program and then you're benefiting other more veteran teachers with the other program because Career Ladder pays more to teachers who have been in education longer. So those are two really good examples of things that we've done around pay. The other one is um, some appropriations that came through this past legislative session around Grow Your Own Programs. Some state funding now that can replace that relief funding. When that goes away, we've got some money now to continue. To support school districts, especially those who are being really successful at getting people uh, into programs and getting them prepared and getting them back out into the workforce. So, very encouraged by the fact, that all the support that we've gotten. Our State Board of Education has been super active in that. They've named a Blue Ribbon Commission who worked on the funding question challenge, you know, last year. This year they're working on climate and culture and they'll be bringing some recommendations to the board in August. Uh, that's translated into some real interest by the governor who has mentioned you know, teachers and the workforce in two state of the state addresses in a row, um, and also legislators who then kind of pick up the torch and have uh, passed some great legislation that's helping us. So we got a lot of people who are jumping on and helping us out, which which is great.
6: And before we continue on in the discussion, if you're tuning in late or if you want to hear more, subscribe to Show Me Today on Apple or Google Podcasts, wherever it is you get your podcasts. Type in Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri, click like, subscribe, download, and take us with you wherever you are listening to us. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not.
7: Because vaping can put microscopic
3: particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into
9: your
7: body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes.
6: Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s.
4: Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control
8: Email from school about the incident today. Scary. Tell me about it. Did you have any idea that was going on?
7: None. I mean, you saw Derek at the game last night too. Did you have a clue?
8: No, but you know, teachers like me, parents, we don't always know as much as you guys do. Kids hear first about what's going on with other kids.
7: Half the time, it's rumors.
8: It can be hard to tell sometimes, but if you have a concern about a friend who's having trouble with alcohol, prescription drugs, bullying, violence, anything, you need to tell an adult.
2: This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack. You can download this or any segment of our program as a podcast. Go to Apple and search Show Me Today. Well, we've had drought, hot weather, and then we've had crazy storms that have blown through and have damaged our trees. And to help with that is Kelly McGowan from MU Extension. She's a field specialist. Kelly, nice to visit. How much have we seen this so far this summer? With
3: Yeah, well, we've, we've had a lot of fast-moving, severe storms in the area uh, in, the, in, the, in recent weeks. And while we're very, very thankful for the rain, it has taken a toll on some of our trees. I've gotten a lot of reports from people just in the last few days with storm-damaged trees, uh, they're not sure what to do. So, uh, yeah, so we can talk about a few things that people can do if they find themselves in that situation.
2: Yeah, and before we get to that, do they get damaged more? Or are they more susceptible to damage during storms when we're going through a drought?
3: Oh, yes. Uh, Anytime we're in a period of drought, that tree um, is is naturally going to be more stressed and can cause them to have more damage than they would have otherwise. Um, You know, a tree that's full of water and is more um, sturdy and rigid is going to be better able to stand up to some of these severe storms.
2: If we have a a tree that is damaged from a storm, and let's say as much as half the tree is down can that tree still survive the other half
3: it can so we often see trees that have been severely damaged where half the tree is gone and sometimes that tree can go on to survive for many many years in in reality we just don't know so you know if someone finds themselves with a storm damaged tree if it is in a location where it could fall and damage a home or a car or something like that, it may be best to go ahead and, and just have it removed. But if it's in a spot where it's really not hurting anything, you can leave it and um, it can often go on to survive for some time.
2: Kelly McGowan, who is with MU Extension, and we're talking about the trees that have been damaged during storms and uh, what to do with them. Um, what are some tips that the casual a homeowner can, can look for and pay attention to and Well
3: anytime that you need to do some pruning on a tree say we've had a storm you have some leaves that or some limbs that have come down or even partially come down um, And you may have if, if you do have to cut them out of the tree, finish removing them, you want to make sure that you' you're using nice smooth cuts. Anytime that you make a smooth cut at the branch collar of a particular branch, the tree is going to better be able to heal itself. And the branch collar is the swollen area where the branch of the tree meets the trunk of the tree. And you can see it. It's kind of a raised area. And you don't want to cut into that, but you want to cut flush with it. And if you can make a good flush cut with that branch collar, um, again, that tree is going to be able to heal itself and have a better uh, probability of being okay.
2: Thinking maybe for new homeowners that uh, have just uh, bought a house and, and they're looking to you know, put some trees, decorative trees around their yard, what are some hardy trees that do well in Missouri?
3: Well, that is a great question. The ones that we're seeing storm damage on tends to be our more decorative landscape type trees that just aren't as suitable for our weather conditions as say our native trees. So if someone is a new homeowner, I would highly, highly encourage them to plant native tree species in their yards. And I hear over and over, well, if I plant an oak, oaks take so long to grow, I won't be able to enjoy it in my lifetime. So why don't I just plant something that's fast growing? And in reality, if you plant an oak tree in your yard and you plant it correctly and you keep it watered when it's young and you make sure you're not hitting it with a lawnmower or a weed eater, it's going to grow a lot faster than people realize. Uh, Plant native trees in your yard. They're better able to sustain storm damage, drought damage, things like that. And also, I highly encourage people with young trees to keep them pruned start pruning when they're young and if you go to our extension website extension.missouri.edu we have some guide sheets on proper pruning of young trees pruning older trees and if you can pr- keep them pruned at a young age that's going to help strengthen in them as well
2: Kelly McGowan with MU Extension talking about the storm-damaged trees. Uh, What are some trees that we should stay away from?
3: Oh, please, please, please stay away from Bradford pears. (laughs) Um, uh, For for those that aren't familiar with Bradford pears, Bradford pear is a non-native tree species that showed up uh, through the landscape industry in this area about, 20, 25 years ago, hugely popular. Uh, They were thought to be sterile at the time that they were introduced into the landscape trade. Turns out they were not sterile and they spread like wildfire through some of our forested areas. So they're very invasive, they're very weak, they're fast growing, they're weak and just not a good option. So, so definitely avoid anything like that. And really, we want to avoid any type of tree that is labeled as fast growing. Fast growing equals weakness when it comes to trees. So again, just stick with some of those native, um, options for best results.
2: Kelly McGowan from MU Extension joining us. We're talking about storm damaged trees. Is there anything we can do preventive uh, measures to take before storms hit?
3: Well, so I had mentioned early about proper pruning and ideally we want our branches on our trees to be at about a 90 degree angle. Um, we, we want them to have a nice angle Anything that is tightly, any angle that's really small on a tree makes that branch weak. So, you know, I I highly encourage people to, to look at our extension guides on pruning trees. And any limbs that are at a very tight angle, it would probably be a good idea to go ahead and cut those out before a storm takes them out for you anyway. They're very weak and very susceptible to breakage and high winds.
2: If we have a tree that is damaged in our yard, are there things we can do to repurpose it? If we cut it down or take it down, I'm talking about smaller trees that we can kind of take down on our own. Are there other ways that we can repurpose that tree and and help our landscape?
3: There are. So, you know, there's there's a lot of things you can do if you need to take down a tree. You can use it for firewood. You can use it, you know, for woodworking if someone likes to do woodworking. So there's a lot of different things that you can do if you do need to take down a tree. Um, so that that's good news as well.
2: And then as far as uh, taking a tree down, what do we do with the stump? How far do we go down? Uh, what do we do with the stump?
3: You know, when it comes to a stump after a tree has been taken down, you can rent a stump grinder and grind it out yourself. It's kind of a big job. There are companies that you can hire to grind stumps as well. I've hired them before. They come out, they grind the stump, they clean up, and it's pretty easy, pretty affordable. Um, You can also buy a chemical type substance that you put on a stump to make it rot out faster. And you usually have to drill holes in the stump, pour this substance in, and then um, it will eventually rot that stump out. And it does take a while for that to happen. Um, so, so keep that in mind. Another thing I would highly encourage you to do is if you're having to take out a tree in an area with tall grass, you um, You know, make sure that you're, make sure you know that stump is there so that you don't accidentally drive over it or drive a tractor over it. I've heard a lot of stories of people getting high centered on stumps that they didn't know was in tall grass or something like that. So that's something to think about too.
2: Kelly McGowan is a field specialist in horticulture with MU Extension and you can check out their website. What is it? One more time, Kelly.
3: It's extension.missouri.edu.
2: Great uh, visiting with you. Thank you. This is Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri.
4: University of Missouri encourages you to eat smart, like a tiger. Use the grill to cook vegetables and fruits. Try grilling mushrooms, onions, peppers, or zucchini on a kebab skewer. Brush with oil to keep them from drying out. Grilled fruits like peaches, pineapple, or mangoes add variety to a cookout. Find more tips like this at muext.us eat smart like a tiger. This message was funded by USDA SNAP.
9: It's 4 a.m., Monday, and you're literally sucking baby snot through a tube because she's congested man that's love and if you love her that much love her enough to make sure she's buckled in the right car seat to make sure your child's in the right seat for their age and size visit nhtsa.gov slash the right seat show them you love them keep them safe visit nhtsa.gov slash the right seat brought to you by the national highway traffic safety administration and the ad council
1: Hey, man, stop flipping the channel. Sorry, I've never seen so many stations.
0: Hello? Oh, it's sweet. I got all the bells and whistles. Satellite radio. Hey, I was listening navigation to Navigation system. Yo, you just missed the stop sign. Hold on. I just got a text. I'll put you on speaker. Two DVD players. Hey, man, how do you spell?
9: Near train tracks, stay focused, stay alive.
10: Brought to you by Operation Lifesaver. www.oli.org. Calling all Korean War veterans. Join us on July 27th, 2023 at the Missouri State Capitol at 10 a.m. in the first floor rotunda for the 70th anniversary Korean War Veterans Armistice Day event. This tribute is dedicated to your incredible bravery and sacrifice in protecting our freedom and democracy. The event features a pinning ceremony and resource fair to honor and recognize your service. Don't miss this special moment in history. Register online at veteranbenefits.mo.gov to join us.
0: You've tuned in to Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri. I'm Cameron Connor. If you've missed any of today's show or you want to share it, just search Show Me Today, wherever you get your podcast. It could be Apple, Spotify, whatever you use. And one of Missouri's top budget leaders wants to take over as state treasurer. Elisa Nelson talks to Missouri House Budget Committee Chairman Cody Smith of Carthage about his run for the statewide office.
10: Today I'm excited to announce that I will be seeking the Republican nomination for Missouri State Treasurer in August of 2024.
7: Let's start off by telling our Show Me Today audience a little bit about yourself as far as how long you've served in the legislature and a little bit of background about yourself.
10: Sure. Thank you. I live in Carthage, Missouri with my family, my wife, Jana, and our son, Charlie. I've been a realtor for over 15 years, and I've owned a small business that operates in healthcare facilities for almost 10 years. And when my wife and I had our son in 2013, that really brought a lot of things into focus for me. I grew really frustrated with dealing with government red tape and too much taxation when it came to trying to build my business to provide for my family. So in 2016, I decided to get involved and I ran for state representative and won that race. And went to Jefferson City and immediately engaged in fiscal policy, budgetary policy. And found a real passion for it and have come to understand that government is never more disruptive or intrusive than when it reaches into your wallet and takes your hard earned money and then turns around and, and spends that money. So the appropriations process, the budget process, uh, is, is really what I think is most important. And I was named House Budget Chairman at the end of my first term. And I just concluded my fifth legislative session as House Budget Chairman. It's given me a tremendous opportunity to impact fiscal policy, and I've had success cutting taxes, eliminating public debt, and balancing the state budget, and I'd like to take that experience on to the treasurer's office now.
7: So uh, explain why you've decided that you want to run for state treasurer now as opposed to maybe going to the Senate and looking at becoming appropriations chair over there someday or some other office.
10: I think the duties of the state treasurer are a good fit for me, given my experience and background. Um, I'm passionate about returning taxpayer dollars to hardworking work, hard Missourians. It's their money, ultimately, and they, they should get it back. The treasurer's unclaimed property program offers the opportunity to do that and has other roles that would allow me the opportunity to work on fiscal policy and ultimately strive to make government most efficient and save taxpayer, taxpayers' money. Uh, additionally, there's a, a really neat program in the State Treasurer's Office that we created by statute in 2021 called the Empowerment Scholarships Account Program. And it's a program that allows families to make their own choices and use scholarship resources to pay for things in their children's education. And that was a really great uh, legislative accomplishment back in 2021, has created a really great program that I would like to seek to foster and expand and promote as state treasurer so again it's the really the duties of the office i think that are a good fit for me and that's why i'm running
7: i heard what you just said about the empower scholarships program um you talked about unclaimed property if elected how would you shake things up in the treasurer's office
10: well i think there are opportunities to leverage technology to uh utilize the unclaimed property uh, program to help reach out to Missourians in a, in a low-cost way to help them retrieve their unclaimed property, get those taxpayer dollars back to them. Uh, additionally, the, the treasurer serves on a few different boards that are impactful to the state's financial health. Uh, the Mosier's board, which is the state employees' pension program, treasurer serves on that on that board. Additionally, the Missouri Housing Commission, uh, which oversees a lot of tax credits related to housing. Um, those are very impactful programs uh, and areas for the state's financial health. And taking my kind of common sense, conservative approach to those roles or those opportunities, I think could definitely make an impact for taxpayers. And again, as I mentioned, the empowerment scholarships account program. I'm passionate about educational freedom, and, and that that program is really, really great. But it's too restricted. Uh, the legislature took a small first step to create the program, but it's, it's shackled with restrictions that I think ultimately need to be removed. It's limited to children with an IEP, which is Individual Education Plan only. It's also means tested, so not everyone qualifies based on their income. And most frustratingly, it's geographically restricted. So you must live in a city of over 35,000 people to take part in the program. As an example, I live in Carthage. We're 12 miles away from Joplin. Kids in Carthage don't don't qualify, but kids in Joplin do qualify. I think that's very frustrating, and that program needs to be expanded to offer to all Missourians uh, because all Missourians deserve access to world-class education, and this is a, a way to provide some additional resources while giving parents and families the ability to choose what's best for them.
7: How do you feel about tax credits overall? Um, Are you in favor of, like, all of those out there? Are there some that uh, you like better than others and why?
10: Yeah, so Missouri offers a variety of tax credits, uh, economic and what we call benevolent tax credits. And there's a spectrum of how efficient and effective they are, in my opinion. I think we've taken major steps to make some of the economic tax credits Uh, more efficient over the last several years, and I'm proud to have played a role in that. And we've created some new benevolent tax credits that I think are working very well. That ESA program, the Empowerment Scholarship Program account uh, program that I mentioned, is actually funded by tax credits. And so that's an example of how tax credits can work well. Uh, Donations to nonprofit agencies are then turned around and and used as resources to provide those scholarships. So it, it really depends on what credit you're looking at, but overall, My goal when dealing with these areas' policies is to drive efficiency for taxpayers or eliminate those tax credit programs if they're not working well.
7: Do you like like the low-income housing tax credits that get the developers involved?
10: I think those play a role in housing development. I've seen those projects be quite successful across the state. That program specifically has um, taken a lot of flack over the years for lack of efficiencies. And we actually turned that program off for a few years to kind of level set and try to build in some efficiencies there. Um, treasurer Fitzpatrick, who is now our state auditor, Scott Fitzpatrick, did a lot of really great work as he worked on the Housing Commission board at, in his role as state treasurer to implement some new policies that really drive efficiencies with that program. And so I think it's much improved and uh, trending in the right direction. So, um, you know, Where it was in the past and where it is now are are different things, and I would seek to continue to drive efficiencies with that program as state treasurer.
7: So uh, what's your plan to stand out against the sitting treasurer, who is also a Republican, Vivek Malik, who uh, has the governor's support?
10: Well, I plan to run this race on my record and my experience. I have Uh, a clear record of being a conservative voice in fiscal policy in Missouri. And I've had success, as I said, cutting taxes, eliminating public debt, and balancing the state budget. It was my great honor to carry the legislation last summer that was called at the time the biggest tax cut in the state's history. And that will total to about a billion dollars overall once it's fully implemented in savings to Missouri taxpayers. So that's probably the, the highlight of my legislative career. And Again, my record is really what I want to focus on. I've uh, been a, a common sense conservative for years now as a public official. I want to take that experience to the state treasurer's office. So I'm focused on my my race, my record, and uh, want to give the voters a choice on who they ought to who they think they ought to hire for this job.
7: Tell me about the greatest lesson you've learned and, and advice you've been given as the House Budget Committee Chair.
10: Some of the The greatest advice I've ever gotten was from my predecessor, Tom Flanagan, who was also coincidentally the House budget chairman. He told me once that there is nothing new in Jefferson City. And what he meant by that is that if you are dealing with an issue, it's the issue of the day, whatever that case may be, chances are that that has come around in Jefferson City and been discussed, considered, and maybe addressed or not in years past. And if you do a little digging and a little bit of research and seek to understand some of those issues on a deeper level, you'll understand that those are often perennial or things that come up from time to time. And that's really given me a sense of context with these things and helped um, give me a sense of, um, I I would say, almost peace when it comes to dealing with some of these things that feel super urgent in the moment, and it feels like we ought to make a knee-jerk reaction to quickly address and create a law that might stop this or create that. But to take our time, think it through, be careful as legislators because these issues come and go and the world keeps turning. So that was really the best advice that I've gotten.
7: Is there anything else about your run for state treasurer that you would like the people of Missouri to know about?
10: Yeah, I I look forward to getting out across the state over the course of the next year and talking to voters and telling them why I think I'm qualified for the job. And Highlighting my experience in the in the role that you mentioned as House Budget Chairman, and my record that is conservative, and um, you know I'm a proponent of educational freedom, economic freedom, I'm a freedom and liberty guy, and uh, that's what I the message I want to communicate across the state. I look forward to having those conversations with voters and listening to them, hearing about what kinds of issues uh, they're dealing with, what they're thinking about over the course of the next year, and I'm excited to get started.
7: All right. That is state representative and Missouri House Budget Committee Chairman Cody Smith announcing a run for state treasurer. And I want to thank you for your time. And also, um, you know, as you get across the state and if there's anything else as far as uh, announcements that we need to let the public know about, by all means, feel free to reach out and we'd love to have you on again.
10: Great, Alyssa. Thank you very much for having me today. Love to come on and join you again sometime soon. And Thank you very much. Take care. Good to talk to you.
7: This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Show Me Today.